Well, I'm so excited about our series, The Anatomy of an Awesome Church. We've been calling about the DNA of a, a dynamic church. And today I want to start by asking you a simple question. The question is this, is what kind of things like you really love in your life? Well, I want to talk about myself since I'm speaking, but one of the things that I really love is I love my family. I love my wife, Kirsten, and I love our three sons, Forrest and Garrett and Jordan. They're a great joy of my life. I have loved fishing my entire life. So I was this little tyke, loved to fish. I love to go fishing in places like Bishop and Alaska. I love vacationing with my family in Montana and like to go fishing when I'm there also. Many of you, you have a place where when you're there, you just love it. Maybe it's the beach, maybe it's a lake, the woods, the mountains, the desert, Maui, Montana, Mozambique, wherever that is. I'm just kidding on Mozambique. But now I get to that place that I love, and I have a strong word for you that might seem a little bit strong, but I know that this is true about you. It's a fact about you and a fact about me, and that is that you love Mexican food. Come on, somebody, you love Mexican food. And I thank God for the day that he made the three basic food groups of tacos, burritos, and enchiladas. Can I get a muy bueno from somebody out there watching online? Well, there are many things that I love, but I want to tell you a seriously thing that, uh, that I really love, and that is I love the Church of Jesus Christ. And I'm passionate about the Church of Jesus Christ. I really mean that. I also know that some of you might say, well, I don't love the church. And you don't even really maybe even like church. And some of you are skeptics about church and you're returning to church. And I, I get all that. And some of you have been bumped out of church. And perhaps your story is you were hurt or you were wounded. And I would probably feel the same way if I was you. But I love the Church of Jesus Christ in its many expressions in the world. I love churches that gather in schools like we have done for many years, storefront churches, theaters, in the plains of Africa, underground churches where it's illegal to meet. And I love the global expressions of the church. But let me be clear about this, is I love the, this church specifically. And I've been passionate about sanctuary since we began with you in 2007. And I love this church. And I love what God has done in the community and beyond our borders. I love this church. And today, we're going to be continuing a series looking at some very important words of Jesus to the churches that we're going to read about in, Re in the book of Revelation. So today, we're going to begin to study a church that Jesus talked about that made an enormous impact with a great history, but was in spiritual danger. A church that was so caught up in activity, okay, but was on autopilot, going just through the motions that they forgot who was at the very center of it all. As Kanye says, that Jesus is king. In the opening chapters of the book of Revelation, Jesus then sends a letter, seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. They're recorded in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, which are the very words of Jesus himself. So I'm going to read to you from that and it says this, Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. In his right hand, and uh, walks among the seven golden candlesticks, or lampstands. I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate 
uh, evil men and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not. And you have found them false. And you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. And you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. So Jesus refers to the seven churches there as the seven golden lampstands because he wants his church to shine really like a bright light in the world. Jesus dictates these very personal letters through his close friend and disciple, John, who writes it all down. And not just for these seven churches, but for all Christ's followers to hear. In fact, these letters, I believe they're just as relevant today as when they were written around 90 AD. And we can learn so much about them, about their successes and their failures, their victories, their defeats. So Jesus again begins in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, and says to the angel of the church in Ephesus. In other words, the pastor or the messenger. And then he says this, This is the message that the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus is talking about, again, these uh, seven lampstands that represent the seven churches that he's writing to. Now, let me just talk about the context, friends, for just a moment. Ephesus was an amazing and a great uh, historic city. A large city in the Roman Empire where about a quarter million people lived, and that was huge in that day. And it was at the center of a temple of a fertility goddess named Diana, which was uh, just full of X-rated worship there. It was just gross. And you can see there that you can be a great church in the middle of any culture. And over the years, it had some just amazing pastors. And it was really a hard-charging church. And Jesus compliments the church in the next verse when he says this, I know all the things that you do, and I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. And Jesus gives a shout, and he applauds them and praises them for their strength. He says, you're hard workers. And today, I think Jesus would say something like this. I love your great website, and I love your small groups, and I love your local and your global outreach. I love that you're a hard-charging church. You've got so much good stuff going on. Your endurance is incredible. It's the stuff of legends. And Jesus just continues to pour out the compliments. And he says, I know you don't even tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say that they're apostles and they're not. And you've found them to be liars. And Jesus said, I know it's not easy to stand up for the truth and for purity. And you've, you've bur- you're buried in that crazy culture there in Ephesus with all those false teachers showing up. And you expose them for what they really are. And Jesus says, you Ephesians, you're like the pit bulls of orthodox doctrine. And Jesus throws out yet another compliment when he says in verse 3, you've patiently suffered for me without quitting. That's what you're like. And friends, I think that you're getting the picture about this church, what it was like. This church is super successful. It's a strong church. It's a serving church. It's a sacrificing church. It's an influential church. And it's a church that's about 40 years old. 40 years to conclude that we've arrived. 
and 40 years to get self-sufficient, and 40 years to fall in love with yourself as, as an amazing church. So imagine there you're sitting and you're hearing the words that Jesus wrote to the church at Ephesus there, and the letter gets read, and Jesus is giving shout-out after shout-out after shout-out, and you're thinking, hey, we're, we're pretty awesome. And you're getting, starting to get the feel that you're, you're feeling pretty good about yourself, and you're congratulating yourself like, yeah, we're rocking it. Yeah, like we're a great church, and God is using us to stand up against the evil of this world. And you're just about ready there to break out in high-fives and chest bumps, this is pre-COVID, and then Jesus drops a bomb on them in verse 4. And he says, but, and you never want to hear Jesus say, but, I have a complaint against you. And you don't love me or each other as you did at first. And Jesus just has one bone to pick. They barely had a spiritual pulse. Their love was growing ice cold. I remember the Righteous Brothers wrote a song that says, You've lost that love and feeling. Lost that love and feeling. And then it goes on to say, And it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa. Remember that song? And Jesus could have been singing that song. You've lost that love and feeling toward me and toward one another. And you, you don't love me. Your love is eroded and it's dissipated. It's disappeared and apathy has set in. And you once appear to you, appear even now interested on the outside. The reality is you're indifferent on the inside. And you're big on good works, but the reality is you have, you have zero love, and zero passion for me. And Jesus said, you're crushing it in like the mechanics of church world, but you've forgotten me. Jesus was talking about a passion for him that flows out of a grateful heart that has been saved and changed and given a new start. And when you did not, Jesus says at one time, you didn't give a rip about God. You didn't give a rip about me. And when you were in school, and you, didn't, you could have cared less about me. And when you're in the middle of your divorce and you were alone and isolated, remember that? And you were in the middle of your madness. And Jesus says, it was there that I died for you and I rescued you from the dominion of darkness and I brought you out of that into the kingdom of light. And remember the first passion for me that you used to have? Remember the huge gratitude that you used to have and the unconditional love that I just lavished upon you? And I see that you're doing a bunch of good stuff at the church, but it's just a bunch of stuff. And it's not about me anymore. And you don't love me anymore. And your heart used to be like on fire with love for me. And now there's barely like a, a flame, a barely a flicker. And Jesus is talking to a bunch of church people who once loved him, but have fallen out of love for him. And so all that to say this, here's the question of the day for you and for me. Have I fallen out of love for Jesus? If you're a Christ follower, if you've fallen out of love. Now, if you're like me, you're going to go to all your set responses with these types of responses. Well, last time I thought about it, I, th I thought I loved Jesus, and I certainly believe in him, and I go to church, and I watch online, and, and I give to church. In fact, I'm going to do that stimulus thing and give my 10% or whatever you're going to give. I go to small group, and I served on a mission trip last summer, 
And all these things, friends, are good, but how do you know if you've fallen out of love with Jesus? And what does it look like practically when someone loses their first love? I want to give you just a few uh, thoughts on that. A few signs. When we love Jesus, we're going to love what Jesus loves. Our heartbeat's going to beat like his. Jesus is always about loving people. So in Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a parable about a great banquet where many of the guests were invited. And the owner says, hey, but what we need to do, we need to go out into the street, in the alley, in the highways, in the byways, the country roads, and invite the marginalized and the disenfranchised and the crippled and the poor and the blind and the lame because God wants his house to be full. But sometimes we can forget those who have yet to experience the love of Jesus. And, it, and friends, it becomes all about us comes about us. There was a professor who did a survey, a study at Fuller Theological Seminary and asked a thousand churches, asked them, what is it, why does a church exist? And the number one purpose of the church, 90% of the people said that the number one purpose of the church is to meet the needs of my family. In other words, it's all about me all the time. 90% of the people my wants, my preferences, my programs, my needs, my favorite music. Jesus said, if you love me, you will love what I love. So it's all about the people. So when we love Jesus, we're going to love what he loves. Secondly, I think we might be losing our first love is when Jesus is studied as, a, as like an object rather than a personal relationship to be passionately pursued. So you know how it happens when you get into Bible study and you go deeper and deeper. And Jesus can become like an intellectual exercise to unpack and to understand rather than a savior that we walk with and that we know and that we talk with. If I start treating Jesus as a concept, a subject to study rather than a relationship to be pursued, then I know that I've lost my, I've lost my first love. Well, there's a third sign that I could be losing my first love, and it's this. I talk myself into sitting on the bench. Have you ever done that? I wonder if this was the case of the Church of Ephesus. Because, I mean, they had this amazing lineup of Christian superstar speakers. The Apostle Paul, Aquila, Priscilla, Apollos, John, even Mary went there. So did Jesus ever, or did people ever think that, hey, you know what? They've got all those superstars there, and I don't know, they're, they're, uh, is there enough praying, and enough giving, and enough serving? I think I'm just going to retire my jersey. I'm going to sit back, and I'm going to be a spectator. And you know, one of the things that I love about sanctuary is that we're so inter intergenerational, and we are. And you look around and see people that are serving and, and, and helping, and even uh, every, every Sunday morning, that we all do this together. We have this amazing, wonderful culture of young people and senior people and everything in between. Some churches you go to, it's just the young people and the cool, super cool vibe there going on. And then there's like the old people service. And the only time that they meet is like passing in the parking lot. We're this family. It's amazing culture that we have. And I love the fact that we have young and old and everything in between worshiping together. And I know uh, not everybody's a fan of our worship style. I get that. And that is why I'm so grateful for those of you 
uh, that gives so much in our mission and reaching the next generation that you tolerate sometimes the music for the next generation and their children to come to Jesus. And so we have some of the most amazing older adults, and I want to give you a shout out that I've ever seen in the church. And I want to thank you and I want to honor you for who you are. And let me ask you, in general, are you sitting on the bench or are you actively engaged? Listen, no matter how young or how old you are, I hope that you're not settling for the bench. Friends, would you, why would you settle for the bench? Let me just say something about retirement. Retirement is an American concept. It's not a Bible concept. You can retire and still be fired up about the Church of Jesus Christ and your opportunity to be an impact player. And we have a place for you here and you are valued. And we want you to engage and we want you to see you flourish in retirement. So please, please, I'm begging you, don't rust away in what could be the most fruitful season of your life. There's a whole emerging generation in this church that we need and we long for your mentoring and your love and your life experiences and your coaching and your prayer and who you are. And so perhaps we could recapture our first love if we've lost it. And so Jesus tells us in verse 5 how to be restored to a first love status. When he, and he said this, Remember how far you have fallen. Repent or turn back to me and do the works that you did at first or return. So remember, return. And Jesus said, if you don't repent, okay, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. So here's the remedy for recapturing your first love. Number one, remember. Number two, is to repent or to turn around and go in a different direction that you've been going in. And number three is to return. I feel like that for every Christ follower that is getting into a routine where like uh, you're just kind of going through the motions, then uh, it's like after I met my wife, Kirsten, after we met, it was Valentine's Day. And even though we hadn't been dating very long, I had the suspicion that, oh, she could be the one. And so I went up to Crestline, to Goodwin's Market, where she was working in Crestline, and I bought some roses, and I put them on top of her car underneath the windshield there. And, uh, and she must have thought, who is this romantic hunk of masculinity that perhaps uh, walking on the planet? But to be honest, I haven't been doing those red roses like I did that first time. I think that's a picture of what happens with relationships over time. We don't put the same amount of effort into them that we first did. And Jesus says that this is what happens in our relationship with him. He says, remember how it used to be. Remember when you came into a relationship with me. Remember how it felt when you were first forgiven and how you gained new hope and a new identity and new life. Remember when you were first in love with me. Remember uh, the pit from which you were rescued from. You go back and, and you look when and you begin to, Jesus is saying, you begin to lose your passion for me. Did you take your eyes off of me perhaps during a rough time? Did you get busy making money and caught up in that? Took your eyes off me? Did somebody hurt you in the church? Did you get cynical or apathetic? 
about being with me? Was it an addiction that pulled you away? Was it, what was it that pulled you away? Have you been maybe faking it so much that you're not, you're not even sure or know when it happened? Did you take your eyes off of me during a tough time? Well, Jesus said that to remember then and to repent, that we might see a relationship with Jesus as something that kind of naturally fades away over time. Like, oh, I used to be that way. I used to be passionate. I used to be on fire for Jesus. I used to be all about Jesus. But I'm getting older now and more mature and more familiar and I'm not so into it. I'm not so committed. I'm not as radical as I used to be. And when you land in this spiritual place, Jesus says that the best thing that you can do, there's the best thing, your, life is, your best life is found on the other side of repenting. This is not an ir- your, your condition is not an irreversible condition. And friends, you can do something about it. There's a guy named Tom Smith that tells a story about visiting a nursing home. I really don't like visiting nursing homes. I had to do it for about 10 years with my mother, but uh, he visited a nursing home, and I've been there many times, um, and he took a rose, and he had it in his hands, and he gave it to someone in the nursing home who was still alive enough to receive the flower and a word of encouragement. And he found himself looking at the worst cases of patients strapped on the carts, and you've seen him looking helpless, And he neared the end of the hallway and he was about to bump into a woman, almost 90 years old, strapped to the wheelchair. And her face was hard to look at. That empty stare and the white pupils made it obvious that she was blind. She had a large hearing aid and it told him that she was almost deaf. And she had this discolored and running sore on the side of her face. And she was being eaten away by cancer. So she's just drooling. The facial nerves go numb. Uh, the seventh cranial nerve goes numb and she's drooling. And her name was, was, uh, was Mabley. And so she's in the nursing home there and she's been in there for like 25 years. And he took the flower and he put it in her hand and he said, here's a flower that I want to give you for a happy Mother's Day. She held the flower to her face. She tried to smell it and she spoke and she responded with a very clear mind, surprised him. And she said, thank you. It's lovely but I want to give it to somebody else and I can't even see it. You know, I'm blind. And he said, okay. He said, of course, um, Mabley. He said, go ahead and give it to whoever you want. So she heads down into the nursing home and she stops and she held it out, the flower, to another patient there and she said, here, this is from Jesus. And it dawned on him that this was no normal human being. And he asked her, what do you think about all day? And she said this. I think about my Jesus and how he's been so good to me. And he's been awfully good to me my whole life. And then she began to sing an old hymn. And it went like this. Jesus, all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He's my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. And so let me ask you, is Jesus still mean the world to you? Is he still your strength from day to day? Is he still your friend who makes you glad when you are sad? If not, remember 
from where we have fallen and repent. This is not an irreversible condition. It is reversible. And then Jesus said, return. Not to all the things that you used to do, the the emptiness scene, but the things that brought you intimacy with Jesus, where you were talking with him, conversing all day, being still enough to listen to him, where there was intimacy with Jesus that was going, um, just kind of going through your life with him by your side. And intimacy perhaps is going back to school someday and saying, hey, this is scary, but I know that Jesus is with me. Intimacy with Jesus makes all the difference in your personal life. When others hurt you, you know that they were deeply affected. And so all that matters now is that you remember, you repent, and you return and do the things that you did at first. The feelings will follow. And here's my last question. If we don't remember, repent, and return, what's hanging in the balance? Like, what is at stake if we don't fall back in love with Jesus? Where Jesus said this in verse 5, If you don't repent, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. Jesus is saying, look, if you don't do this, I will stop working here like the church at Ephesus. And this is the most sobering realization about the passage is that if you go to Ephesus today, the lampstand has been removed and there's no church there. None. 2,000 years later, the light of Jesus of this once great, amazing church with great leaders and a great history has been extinguished. And what could have happened? It began with a slow progression of drifting away. They left their first love. Friends, listen to me. Sanctuary is a great church full of great, faith-filled people with a great history. And no question, we're looking ahead to the greatest days ahead of us. But in light of the words of Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 here, I want to make a declaration over us moving forward. And this is the declaration that our number one passion will always be to love Jesus Christ with all our hearts and our soul and our mind. We want to worship and love him with all of our heart, all of our strength and all of our soul. And I want our worship to be all out. I want our our number one passion always to be about loving Jesus Christ. And may we always be known as a church that absolutely um, unflinchingly loves Jesus Christ. May we always be a church that our identity is firmly established in him. And may we people be a people who love to worship, uh, love to give to him in generosity and serve him and obey him and be genuinely in love with him uh, forever and ever and just be grateful to him. May we be a people who stand firm and who refuse to go with the flow, no matter how dark the culture gets, and that we would be motivated by nothing less than an unbridled love and passion for Jesus Christ and him alone. And so let's worship him and remember, repent and return that I want you and nothing else, nothing else will do. God bless you. You are loved.